Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Y'all have ever have those days where you just don't feel like you're saved? <laughs> where you get squeezed and what comes out you don't really like? You think it's going to come out fragrant, sweet, orange blossom, and it comes out sour lemonade. And sometimes it happens at the worst times, like Thanksgiving Day. We're trying to create this grateful culture, preach Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving thankfulness is the open door, the grand great virtue, the open door virtue, and... There's an English word for it. My mom used to call it a strop. It's an English. Are you in a strop? It's itchy with a B. It's, uh... So... It's, it's... It's when you just, you know, you're, you're upset. You don't know why. It's not like you fell into any great sin. You're just, you're just a mess. And um, anybody have days like that other than me? Yeah, there's a there's hundred hands. And um, so we welcome our online community, podcast community. If you guys would raise your hands out there too. You know, there are almost, uh, someone told me almost 3,000 downloads. So. A week between BA chats and the. So there are more people listening outside this room than inside. So, in the spirit, they're raising their hand. Yeah. And so, I, uh, I want to talk about that. I'll just get real with. Uh, I, had a two, I had just had two days of being a jerk. And my wife, like, who are you? You know, when the wife says, I think I'm going to go shopping for a day and come back <laughs> when you figured this thing out. <laughs> and when you're, uh, you know, and then preaching assignments come in the middle of those sometimes, and <laughs> that's even worse. <laughs> but honestly, uh, we, you know, we've, come by this thing called life and it's hard to trust our emotions. If you think about it, her heredity is sin. Our father, you know, from Adam. We all came from Adam. And we've got, depending on your perspective, hundreds if not thousands of generations of sin in our, our line. And when we, uh, we get saved, our spirit man gets perfect, but our body, soul, still needs some work, amen? And when you've been saved a long time and it still needs some work, it can be discouraging. <laughs> but we all have those days. And I, I want to talk about 
how you get out of it. But I think it makes it even tougher in a culture like ours because we have a culture that just says, you're a son of God. You're powerful. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're incredible. And so that is all true. But sometimes it feels like a tension, does it not? And this soulish part of us, this tougher part of us, when it gets stepped on or we get our toes stepped on, we either withdraw, we either get angry or we fight back. Or you get overlooked or you passed over for a promotion, or your spouse is cranky, you're irritable or irritated, everybody's walking on eggshells around you, or you catch jealousy flowing up in your life, or gossip, or slander. You're like, God, where's this fruit? What do you do with it? I caught myself after two days not quite sure what to do and I caught myself going back to the cross. It's a pretty good place to start going back to the cross and I wanted to remind us I love the cross. I ran across a verse this week that I'd never seen. In Isaiah 52, 14 it said he was he was marred to the point where he was unrecognizable. It implied he took a beating more than any man on the face of the earth. I've got a couple, couple family members that wouldn't go to Passion, the Passion movie, because it was so it was really gruesome, like it was. It was kind of hard to watch a second time. Anybody, we like to watch movies more than once. Anybody, like raise their hand, it was hard to ever go watch again. But Isaiah 52, you come away reading that and you say, you know, it's actually worse than the Passion movie. And his face was beaten to the place that it was unrecognizable, that it was without form, it was, wouldn't it be interesting if he lost his form and identity in a beating so that we could take on, that God could stamp on the true identity of him into us? He was wounded and pierced so that we might become whole. He became poor that we might be rich. He became cursed that we could become free. He became sin so we'd have a chance to be holy. He triumphed as a son of man so I could be a son of God. And God allowed sin to be placed on perfection in order that imperfection could be removed from us. And I, I just caught myself going back to the cross. And I caught myself, uh, the body is wonderful. You guys minister to me in many ways. Dara 
in the middle of that week, gave me a, texted me a message by a man named Dan Moeller. And I didn't know much about Dan. Dan had, um, Dan's sort of known because he, he mentored and had a huge influence in Todd White's life. And so my form of repentance was to get back to the cross and to spend Sunday just listening to YouTubes by Dan Moeller. And I spent eight or ten hours. You know, we teach what we know, but we impart who we are. And there was an impartation of Dan's just his innocence, his childlike energy, his innocence, and his love for uh, his just his really his, his openness to God's love and his appreciation for the gospel, the cross. And I think in eight or ten hours, it began to impart, and I could feel the what I hope is the real me coming back. Repentance. So, Dara, thank you for sharing Dan Moeller with me. And we should have him, but uh, Todd White keeps talking about him, so he keeps getting too many invitations. So, But at the cross... I catch when my flesh starts to pop up or self-pity or somebody's crossed the line or they're pushing my buttons. Can anybody relate? And you get passed over, pushed over, whatever it is. And those things pop up and they don't look like beautiful little Green shoots, they look like kudzu weeds. <laughs> There's a need of a reset button, and the reset button at the cross, I begin to remember the price he paid. The price he paid and yet was unoffended. The price he paid so that I should be unoffended. The price he paid to forgive so that I could be forgiven and forgive. And I just needed to raise Christ up and have the cross in front of me again. Lift it up and remember. And I began to hear questions like, if you're really dead, why are your button's being pushed. If you really died to yourself, why is there a line? Why is that bothering you? And in repentance, there's this wonderful thing. Repentance means change the way you think. And you're getting humbled in repentance and something happens in this beautiful thing called humility. Grace comes. He gives grace to the humble. Grace flows in. Grace is this mysterious word, but I think of it as tangible. 
If I could see in the spirit, I think you'd see tangible grace entering a room. Grace is an empowering thing. When grace enters a room, you can do something you couldn't do a moment before. It's empowering. Humility pulls on grace. And in repentance and humility and grace, God is able through a soft heart to restore you back. Because he's a restorer. He's a redeemer. He's the builder back up. He's the one who says, this is who you are. This is where I want you. This, does, this can be just an attitude. It could be a big sin. It could be anything. For me this week, it was just an attitude. But it's the same principle. God is the restorer. So begin to begin to hear it say, can you live an undefended lifestyle? Can you live an unirritated lifestyle? Can you live a Christ-like lifestyle? One of the things Dan said, put Jesus' voice in your self-complaints. Take the last conversation you were complaining, either the Lord or yourself or with your friend, and just see Jesus saying it. Usually it doesn't work. That dog doesn't hunt very well. You're like, nah, that ain't Jesus. That's not my Jesus. Or take your complaints. Take your self-pity. Take yourself whatever it is self. Fill in the blank self and lay it at the cross. And think about the price he paid. We were made in his image. In fact, the scripture says we were made, made us in our image. It's interesting language. Our image. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't, the word Trinity isn't really in the Bible. It's just our, we're trying to figure this thing out. His ways are higher than ours. Hard to figure out the Trinity. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. But Jesus is fully exact. Colossians 1 tells us. Exact representation of the Father. He's God. And so God himself. Willingly. Not as an afterthought. This was known before the foundation rolled. This wasn't like an oops after Adam's sin. This wasn't a plan B. From the foundation of the world, God himself lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life as a man. The son of man triumphed. And he lived a perfect life as a man. And God himself, he, he, it's, it's a dual message. He's trying to, you know, a, a, a parent loves their kid like the moment they're born, they give their life for them. And he uses that analogy to say, this is the thing you love the most. 
I'm giving that for you. That's my value for you. We express value in what we pay for something. Money is stored energy. I concentrate effort, energy, and work and give it in exchange for money. And I use that money, that stored energy, to go buy things. And that exchange of what I'm willing to pay for something is how much I value it. How much stored energy, effort, and work am I exchanging for that thing? Oh, that car, I'll pay, that's worth $18,000 of my stored energy. And God said, I value you so much, the price I'm going to pay is the son, the perfect lamb of God, planned on before the foundation of the world. When I get my selfish self in the way, I remind myself of the cross and the price he paid. And suddenly, repentance comes. And grace comes. And restoration. Life comes. I was reading, um, this is my, uh, I mentioned my utmost for his highest. It's the, this is a 1971 vintage version. <laughs> it's Lady Ina Carson, one of Lindy's best friends, gave her this book in 71. And October 6th is a big day for me. That's Lindy's birthday. But on October 6th, in your my utmost, I want to read this to you. It's, uh, I don't like reading to you, but this is, I can't say it better. So, If Jesus Christ is to regenerate me, what is the problem he is up against? I have a heredity I had no say in. I'm not holy, nor likely to be. And if all Jesus Christ can do is tell me I must be holy, his teaching plants despair. I know it's old English, but stay with it. If God tells me to be holy, and that's all he does is tell me to be holy, it creates some frustration. Because I have many generations of heredity that's not holy. Amen? Amen. Do I have your attention? So it's this frustration thing. Like I, There are crazy verses in the Bible. It says, be holy as I am holy. Or be perfect. Those verses can create frustration. If you don't understand them, and we're going to explain them. But if Jesus Christ is the regenerator, one who can put into me his own heredity of holiness, then I begin to see what he is driving at when he says that I have to be holy. Redemption means that Jesus Christ can put into any man the hereditary 
the hereditary disposition that was in himself. And all the standards he gives are based on that disposition. His teaching is for the life he puts in. The moral transaction on my part is agreement with God's verdict on sin in the cross of Jesus Christ. I know it's old English, but hang in there. So on the cross, we have this individual gospel idea that he got on the cross and he died for my sins. Almost like we just took communion, that his blood washed away my sins. That is true, but there's a higher truth. He died for the sin of mankind. He got on the cross for that hereditary part of sin. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin. Say that right. I don't sin because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner because I sin. I may have said that wrong. Take that home and work on that. It was so profound at home. Did I get it? Y'all should stand up here and look at you and try to talk. I know I make it look easy, but it's not. On the cross, he took this heredity of sin and and removed it so that you and I have the capacity to break that heritage. And that is in your self-pity something worth praising him for. Something worth resetting for. Something worth giving our life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get that into our heads and our hearts in Revelation, Psalm 24 kind of floats up, lift up your head, O ye gates, you lucky ones, you blessed ones, you chosen ones from the foundation of the world, that I've found a way to lift this off you And there's a capacity to be holy. And we have nothing to do with it, church. You can't, there's nothing in this that you could do. This is all God. You and I say yes. And we have a moment where we realize we're in need, where we realize we can't do this on our own, we realize we're in need of a Savior, where we realize we need him even to have a good mood. We're in need. And we come crashing 
into the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 with our humble hearts, with our realization that we're in need. And Jesus sitting on the Sermon on the Mount and saying, come, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's our password. Blessed are the needy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who know they need some help. We come crashing in. I, I, I just kind of had a vision of a, a restaurant in heaven. It's called Matthew 5. <laughs> and I'm walking up to the maitre d' who looks a whole lot like the Holy Spirit. Poor in spirit for one. I'm here in need. I'm here in poor in spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes me, as we sang tonight, to a banqueting table. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And there, in the restaurant, at that table, we partake of the kingdom. But it comes... For every one of us, when we find we need him, and he's all that we need. So on October 6th, and we realize that we can't live this life, and if you read Matthew 5, as I mentioned last time I preached, in Matthew 6 and 7, one of y'all came up to me after that message and said, I'm glad you stayed at, at Matthew 5. I thought you were going to go to Matthew 6 and 7 because it gets worse. But Matthew 5, it's not just sweet Jesus sitting on a mountain with, you know, like, blessed are the poor. He gets quickly into tough words, like, if you look at a, a woman with lust, it's like you committed adultery. Like, oh, that's a tough word. If you look at someone and say, Raka, you hate, there's hate in your heart. It's like you murdered them. This thing is impossible. You read five, six, and seven, and then, and then tell me, oh, I can do that. Now, you're, you're a liar. <laughs> Isn't it right? You're lying. <laughs> but this life... To become holy is the same thing. It's coming poor in spirit and saying, Christ, you have to do this in me. It's like putting him on like a glove, his life in us. He puts this Holy Spirit in us, the regeneration, the new gospel, the new man. He, makes, he doesn't sweep 10% of our spirit clean and said, you do the rest. He fixes it. New creature in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I still got some soul and body work. There's still some body work to be done. But he fixes that peace. And he's saying, if you'll appropriate your faith to know you're in me and I'm in you, 
and I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and I've placed my spirit in you. And if we'll walk this surrendered life, he'll do the work. If we'll walk with a yes, if we'll walk with humility, I'm convinced he'll do the work. Because the rewards are great. We were just at a meeting where Bill Johnson was uh, sharing and he opened it up. He said, we're in a season of review. Let's review what we know well as if we've never known it before. Jesus never used benefit as why to follow him. He never used the benefits of being a Christian or the benefits of the gospel. And we preach in many ways a beneficiary gospel these days. He said, if I can't be entrusted with criticism, I can't be entrusted with praise. That's a bomb. There's some beautiful promises for us in the future. 2 Corinthians 2.15, if you have... That was a cute little gurgle by that baby. (laughs) She was saying amen. (laughs) For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, 2 Corinthians 2.15. I smelled once or twice that fragrance of the Holy Spirit. But I've sensed it and smelled it on a few people who have been through the crucible of life, through those hard things, through those tough days. And I knew enough about their life to know, wow, You could be carrying a lot of stuff, but they didn't carry any of it. They carried the fragrance of our king. It's a beautiful thing. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How good is that? Count it all joy, brothers. Count it all joy, sisters, when you come into various trials because that's the trying of your faith that creates that fragrance that orange blossom fragrance of the Lord that creates perseverance 
and it creates that beautiful result in you. Galatians 1.15, another. One of the beauties of teaching you guys is I run into some verses I'd never seen. This one is Paul speaking. Galatians 1.15. Such an amazing verse. It says, when God set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. It was God's pleasure that the son would show himself, reveal his son himself in Paul. The son was revealing himself in Paul and it was God's pleasure to do that. And that is available for each and every one of us. That we carry the fragrance of the king. That it is his pleasure from the foundation of the world to reveal himself in us. And when we have those days when that ain't happening, let's go to the cross and remember who he is and what he did and what price he paid. And let's hit the reset button and let him hear the voice of the Lord that says, you're better than that. You're more than that. You're bigger than that. You've got a higher calling. Count it all joy when you fall into that place because I've got a plan for you. And this is just part of the process. We'll, re- we'll end with Romans 8.30. Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, it's just gold. It's the New York strip of the Bible. (laughs) You saw off a little bit of that medium rare word right there (laughs) with some hot pepper sauce on it. And you just chew and chew and chew and it keeps tasting good. This ain't no milk of the word right there. It's and those he predestined, that's you, church. He also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Wow. We can do this. But it takes the body. It takes a dare saying, listen to this, preacher. This guy might bless you. It says, saying sorry to your wife. It says, reset button. Jesus, what you'd pay the price for me, if you paid that big a price, I don't have any rights. I said you're a Lord. Why don't I act like it? Because you have a high calling. You have a great destiny for each one of us. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Yeah, 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 yeah.
Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.